I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Some really good truth in what we just shared, reading that aloud. My hope today is that as we look at this, that we will see that we believe Jesus Christ crucified. And this is Holy Week leading up to Good Friday. And as we highlighted Easter Sunday, we won't have a Good Friday service. So today we are going to look at Jesus Christ crucified. We're going to look to the cross, which interesting kind of reality of our current day and our current culture is that the cross is kind of coming and kind of under some scrutiny. You could say it's kind of caught in the crossfire a little bit, which is so interesting because as we read the Apostles' Creed, we see that the cross is central. It's right there in the middle that Jesus Christ was crucified. You know, history, as we kind of shared in a talk previously, looks at Jesus, and Jesus is a historical figure. He lived in real time, believed across like the globe and across like all sorts of historical accounts. And those historical accounts say that he was crucified. That he went to the cross. And today as we engage this conversation, my hope is that we will come and experience, I think, the, the reality of the cross in a real way for us, but maybe in a way that's different than what you're used to. Because Jesus Christ was crucified. I want to read an account out of Galatians 2 to kind of set the stage for our conversation today. And this is what it says in Galatians 2, picking it up in verse 15. It should be on the screen behind me. And as always, if you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along on the Bible app. And this is what it says. It says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. See, the thing that it's setting up here is the Jews had the law. They, they kind of had the, the right track. And the Gentiles, well, they, they didn't. They were the sinners, right? They were the kind of the outsiders, the outcasts. And I'll just say, that's me. You know, that's me. But they're identifying the reality that we are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. 
Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. In, prep, in, in preparation and thinking about this time, this was the first kind of place that I went. I feel like it was Holy Spirit inspired, is that Christ crucified speaks to sin. Christ crucified speaks to sin and declares Jesus is greater because they have to go together. This is the first kind of fill in the blank on your listening sheet. But the cross in and of itself highlights that there is a real need in me. That there is a real need in me. If the law was all I needed and I could have kept the law, then Christ died for nothing. But what I know of my own life didn't take me long. Didn't take me long to need discipline from my parents. It didn't take me long to need to ask for forgiveness. It just didn't take me long in life. Maybe I'm a superstar when it comes to sin. I don't know. Maybe it took you a little bit longer, but I knew pretty early on that sin was a real issue in my life, and the cross speaks to sin. You know what's so hard about that culturally is that sounds judgmental, right? That somehow there's this huge judgment being heaped that's calling you or calling me a sinner. But in some ways, what we see in Galatians 2 is we begin to see the narrative shift. Because if I only focus on sin and that's all I look at, then it's putting me at the center. And then I can try by my best effort to remedy my sin. But Christ crucified speaks to sin and declares Jesus is greater. There is a real need that I need addressed. The crucifixion is a place that Jesus declares that I am at one with Jesus and Jesus is the remedy for my need. Christ crucified. Christ crucified, the remedy for me and my need. And maybe for you as well. Marianne May Thompson, the George, listen to this title, the George Eldon Ladd Professor of New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary. I don't think there's a business card big enough, right? What an incredible gift. She shares these words as she was writing. One of the particularly striking features of Paul's presentation of the plight of humankind is that he tends to speak not of sins in the plural, but of sin in the singular. He personifies sin as a power. People are under the power of sin. It exercises dominion over them and dwells in them. They are enslaved to it or are simply under sin. And sin leads to death. Captive to the power of sin, enslaved to it, human beings need a deliverer, a savior, someone who can break the power of sin, who can set us free from the law of sin and death. Jesus is greater. 
As I was reading that this week and reflecting, I go, yes, that's what I needed. I needed someone who could break the power of sin on me and just set me free. That Jesus and his power and his life and his love is greater than sin and death. You know, it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about sin, but in some ways that's the whole point, is that sin highlights we need a Savior, that we don't do it on our own, that Jesus and a loving God had a first course of action from the beginning to cover us and free us and come be the remedy. Be the remedy for what I need. A real crucifixion in Jesus invites me to a real crucifixion in me. I no longer live because I have been crucified with Christ. You know, one of the challenges here is that if we, if we begin to address sin, we address the, the weight of sin, the power of sin, the dominion of sin, is that in Jesus we see the model. And then we're invited to follow him where we invite a real crucifixion in our own life that I would be crucified to self, that I would be crucified to Kurt, that I would take all that is me, all my pride and all my angst and all the power that I try to exert and all the authority I try to demand, and I would just say, break me of it, Jesus. That I would be identified by you and your power and your kingdom, that I would embrace the crucifixion, the loving power of Jesus setting me free. Because here's what I know. When I look at my own life, I can see the places I have need. Like, I know myself well enough to know that this is a struggle, that this is a burden, that this is a place that I just feel, like, just in bondage. I'm not free. I'm not experiencing life. Like, I know that about myself. I don't need you to tell me. <laughs> As Alan shared last week, the Holy Spirit is highlighting for me where I'm missing out on God's best. The Holy Spirit is pursuing me with his loving kindness and his grace and he's drawing me into places to be free. That I wouldn't live under the power and the oppression and the dominion of the kingdom of darkness, but I'd be catapulted into his glorious light. See, Christ crucified is so central in the Christian church because it speaks to sin. And we begin to just say, you know what? What if I begin to lay myself down the way Jesus did? And I begin to realize that it's not sin alive in me, it's Christ alive in me. Christ alive in me. You know, lots of people so much smarter than me have given their lives work to look at the cross, to look at the atonement, the, the sacrificial covering of Jesus on the cross. It was a fun conversation this week in the office. I was talking to Alan, and we were talking about the atonement, and I think I said something like, yeah, so there's like a few theories about the atonement. And I think I might have said, you know, five. And he goes, yeah, there are five. There's 12. And I was like, thank you, Alan. We were just talking about like how many people are trying to figure this out. How does it work? People have given their life work to reading Scripture and trying to discern and partner with the Holy Spirit, and there's 12, right? There's 12. And in some ways, what that highlights is the mystery of Christ crucified, that no human being holds it. It is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their in incredible mystery of loving kindness for humankind 
But in the 12, I think we see glimpses and we capture aspects and part of it. And one of those 12 is the atonement theory that, that highlights this. In his magnificent grace, this is a quote from Owen Strachan, or Strachan, or Strachan, depending on where he's actually from. In his magnificent grace, God doesn't just make salvation possible for miserable sinners. He makes it certain. He makes it certain. That's so good. Forgiveness, the need of every human heart is in the blood, the precious blood of Christ, the mystery of Jesus crucified, the mystery of communion, the meal that we receive, the mystery of his life and his death and his resurrection, the mystery of the kingdom makes it certain that forgiveness is available. In Alan Gustav's atonement theory, Christus Victor, Christ the Victory, there's this incredible, beautiful picture painted about being set free and gaining victory over the kingdom of darkness, gaining victory over sin, victory over Satan, victory over demonization, victory over all the things that hold us in bondage, that Christ is our victory. Marianne May Thompson says this about Christus Victor in some of her writing. The primary question, the primary question is what has God done for us? In Christ crucified, what has God done for us? The answer is that God has taken the initiative in Christ to gain victory over the powers hostile to God and all of God's creation, including sin, including death and the devil. To be sure, any theory of the atonement can make the point. Salvation is both the gift and work of God. Christ crucified is the gift and the work of God. But the imagery of the release from captivity, of giving life as salvation and overcoming the powers of sin, death, and the devil show God as the actor in the drama from beginning to end without any way minimizing the importance of the cross. Christ crucified puts Christ, puts Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the center of the story. It's not my sin at the center. It's not my effort at the center. It is Jesus and his love for you and his patience and his kindness and his faithful obedience to the Father to trust him through the whole story, to trust that it was God's work. The mystery of the cross brings us right back to relationship with God, saying he is greater. Can I just say, when you look around, what do you see? Just, just culturally, do you see perfection everywhere you look? Do you see things working just in like pristine, exactly, like no problems? Like relationships perfect, People perfect, economies perfect, government perfect. Have I belabored it enough? If it's not broken, it doesn't need fixing. If the law was sufficient, Christ died for nothing. But guess what? My eyes, what I see, tells me it's broken. 
What I hear, what I know of my own mind and my own heart, my own life is enough story to know that we have a real need that is remedied in the cross and Christ crucified. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. Christ crucified highlights a real remedy for you and for me. Owen S., as I'll call him for the rest of our talk, says this, to lose sight of God's righteous justice in the cross is to lose our grasp of God's fathomless love. See, what we begin to see is if we see that God is greater, that Jesus is greater than sin, what we have to begin to see is that there is a storyline unfolding in Christ crucified that communicates something so much bigger, something so much more powerful, and it's the truth that God loves you and he loves me. And that it's his love that wants to set things right. It's his love that is, is the anchor for his right action. For his right action. Because he knew we needed to be set free. He didn't want the powers of darkness and sin and the dominion of Satan and the evil one to have any room or any way. So in his righteousness, in his right action, he declares his love. And so Christ crucified highlights that we're defined by life, not death, because the love of God is always compelling life forward in you and in me. That Christ crucified helps us see we're defined by life, not death. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Life, life, life. The invitation of the kingdom of God is life. Live in me, Jesus. By your spirit, live in me. Awaken me to life. Draw me to life. Lead me away from death. Resurrect the things that are dying in me and bring life. Jesus throughout the whole New Testament is highlighted as one who gives life. Of himself, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the, with a little more gusto, I'm the way, the truth, and the, there you go. John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Everything that was made was made through him, with him, by him. So that he's the life light to all mankind. Life, life, life. Where is it today that you don't feel much life? Let's just slow down just for a minute. Where is it that you do not feel life? You don't feel alive. You feel pain, you feel hurt, you feel brokenness. It's all too near. Christ crucified has something to say about that. 
Where can we invite the life of Christ to begin to live more fully inside of us? The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Spoiler alert, okay? Just be ready. Spoiler alert. The good news of the gospel is life conquers death. Life conquers death. As Jesus faced death, even death on a cross, three days later, he rose declaring victory. And I'm not going to preach anymore because Alan's going to bring it next Sunday. And you've got to be here. But life conquers death. Will you let it in? Will you begin to be defined by life? Let the sin stuff go. You're not a sinner any longer when Christ lives in you. When you begin to embrace your life in Christ, you're defined by him, for him, for his glory, for your good. We're defined by life, not death. Will you let more life in? Will you let more light shine in the dark places, in the painful places? We're defined by life, not death. In Jesus, we are defined by life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. <laughs> you see a theme here. Do you see a trend emerging? Life in his goodness, Christ crucified is life. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. When I saw him, speaking of Jesus the king, I fell at his feet and I w as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and the grave. Life over death, life over death. Can I just say, this doesn't just mean we do whatever we want, right? This was the tension, I think, in the early church, trying to figure out the grace of God. It's the, it's the tension we feel now. Well, if Jesus died and he covered all my sin, then I can do whatever I want. No, no then you'll keep perpetuating the weight and the oppression of sin, which steals and leads to death. We'll miss out on God's best. See, God is not a state farm agent. You might be going, what? See, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I experienced my faith like this a lot for a long time. It was just up and down. It was like, if I'm doing good, my faith felt strong, and it was good, and then I would like tank out because I'm not perfect, and I was broken. I was trying to live by my own strength, by my own power. I was trying to be good. I was trying to look good. I was trying to be perfect so Jesus would love me. Guess what? He already did. And so I would just be this up and down, this up and down. So I'd have a tough time. I'd pray, God, would you come? Would you set me free? Would you bring freedom? And guess what? He does. But it made me think about this jingle that I heard, this commercial of State Farm. And it might look like this, and you might be able to resonate with this a little bit. Let's see if the video will work. If it doesn't work, it's my fault. One of these is so good. Man, I can't believe we haven't done this before. Oh, wow, look at that. Do it again, do it again. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. In my office. State Farm. I think we're good. <laughs> State Farm agents are there when you need them. Thank you.
Now, I have to say that uh, at the Vineyard Church, we're an equal opportunist for in, uh, insurance and banking and retirement needs, and so State Farm or anybody else that you might use, feel free. But there's this moment where the State Farm agent shows up. He's kind of like this genie, right? And he's like, oh, you're in trouble. Let me get you out of trouble. Oh, yay, we're in your office. And then in my faith, I'm like, oh, God, get me out of trouble. Oh, yay, okay, now I can do my own thing. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Meaning every moment of every day of every circumstance, Christ in me, with me, walking, encouraging, inviting me to know his loving presence. Because here's what I know. I've prayed those prayers. I've never been attacked by buffalo or bison. I'm not really sure which one it was. Maybe the American bison. But I've, I've had my stuff, and so I'm praying like, God, would you get me out of this? Would you get me out of this? Would you get me out of this? And God wants to. He wants to set us free, but as much as he wants to get us out, he wants to put his life in us. In us. So that no matter the circumstance, Christ crucified in me is bringing me to life in that moment day in and day out, day in and day out, because the circumstances will keep coming and will keep coming and will keep coming. But we have been invited to know a God that wants to be the source of your life every single day and every single moment. One of the ways they describe Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. This was the message last week, which was so good. Alan's encouragement and his word last week was so good. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. It's good for me to go be with the Father. He knew it was good for the crucifixion. He knew it was good for the resurrection. He knew it was good for the ascension. I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to leave my spirit with you and dwelling in you, for you, his power alive, walking with you through life his love and affection, that we might experience his life. Jesus wants to transform the entirety of me, transform the entirety of my life. And we believe here at the Vineyard he wants to do that for you too. There's no transaction from the human side that disposes God to will to give life. Rather, the living God wills life for the world and the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the word of life all testify to and embodies God, embody God's life-giving passion. Christ crucified embodies God's life-giving passion for you and for me. So here's where I want to finish today. Because I just think this, this has to hit home. <laughs> Like that's, the cha- that's the challenge for me in this this week, is am I, am I allowing it to hit, to hit home? I, mean, I was in a conversation with my wife, Lauren, this week. And, and I remember we were talking about this. We were talking about Jesus, and we were talking about how does Jesus really matter, and, and does faith in Jesus really change me, and does it change my outlook? And I think there is such an invitation. Christ crucified. It's Christ who lives in me. And so the thing that I want to finish with is that Christ crucified calls us to relationship, not religion. Now just think about that for a second. Relationship, not religion. And you might be going, well, hey, Kurt, 
hey, buddy, I hate to break it to you, but, but like, Christianity is like one of the three largest religions in the world. <laughs> yes. But here's what I want you to think about. Here's how I describe religion. Religion is me trying to make my way to God. It's rule-keeping. Religion is rule-keeping. Religion is something I do. It's my effort. The reality of Christ crucified causes me to answer a clear question about my life. Will I face life on my own? Or will I surrender and embrace a relationship with the living God for every day, for every moment? Christ crucified draws a line in the sand that is challenging I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That sounds like a relationship. <laughs> I mean, we, we will give a relationship status to like social media and friend requests, and that's my friend, and I'm in, you know, I'm in relation to this person, and we hold hands. What about letting Christ have full access to your entire life? That sounds really serious. Because it is. It is the biggest ask, and it will challenge every ounce of pride in me. It will challenge every bit of me wanting to do everything I can to prove I'm worthy, I'm good enough, I've got what it takes. And he calls me to do what he did, to surrender my life and to fall at his feet and say, I need you. You are my remedy. You are my Savior. You are my love. You are my kindness. You are my grace. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And yes, when I'm in relationship with Jesus, he leads me in the way of life, and guess what? My life looks like Jesus. It bears fruit of his kingdom. And so for all the religious people around me, they might go, oh, wow, look, he's so religious. And I go, yeah, no. I am in love with Jesus, and the love of Jesus is catapulting me into a whole new way of being. I'm beginning to follow what he says. I'm beginning to engage his truth. I'm beginning to let it transform the way I think about life and the way I treat people. And I'm beginning to live with kindness. And instead of fear, I begin to live with faith. And instead of anxiety and worry, I begin to build trust as the foundation of my life. And it, and it affects my marriage and it affects my friendships and it affects the way I work. And it affects the kind of conversations I have with people. And I begin to shine light everywhere I go because I'm being transformed by a God who loves me, who's inviting me into relationship. I know I've already referenced it like three times, but last week's message on the Holy Spirit that Alan gave, I was so challenged when he said, don't settle for your own strength and power when you could have the power and, and strength of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you every day. Because I do leak. I need more of God all the time all the time, all the time. And that's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about dwelling with Jesus day in and day out. John Stott says this. He's an author of a book that looks at Christ and the crucifixion. He says, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it?
Christ crucified speaks so clearly that God sees the hurt, sees the pain, embodied the pain, bore our shame, bore our weakness, bore our sin, bore our guilt, bore everything that was the angst of humankind. He just says it, he took it all into himself. Suffering servant. So if you've wondered, is this a God that I can trust? Is this a God that I can believe in? Know that Jesus, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are acquainted with sorrow, are acquainted with pain, and they have something to say about it. And again, not to preach the Easter message before Easter, but Christ crucified. deliver such truth that you are loved and you are being extended an invitation to live more fully than you ever knew.